Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy, joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things? Uh, mighty Mark, another super, super weekend of Six Nations Rugby. Absolutely. I suppose this week our focus is on round four, uh, played last weekend. And also look at round five, some fascinating fixtures lined up. We'll also look at the Irish provinces. There's been a bit of contract news from Munster and Connacht perspective that we're weighing at the end of the podcast. I suppose, Liam, let's focus on round four. First off, Murrayfield, Edinburgh, Ireland faced adversity in injuries yesterday, but came out on the right side out of a 22-7 win over Scotland. I suppose, your thoughts and reactions? Oh, just uh, one of the best performances, really, in adversity that we've ever had to do because I mean to lose so many players and for Scotland to play so well in the in the opening twenty minutes, yeah, it was it was it was a actually outstanding performance in in that sense. I mean, yeah, there, there was a there was a bit of error strewn like in of course second half, but overall we we tested our depth chart literally to the limits. The guys passed through with just outstanding. Yeah, I think it's the adaptability that you've basically nailed there, Liam. It's how the Ireland team on the pitch, but also management off it, were able to adapt to the evolving situation that unfolded here, particularly in that opening period. What an abrasive test match, Dolene, when you consider the first half, the number of injuries, both from Ireland, but also Scotland as well, significantly Richie Gray. But I suppose we can start from the start here, uh, Liam. Pretty much even Stevens first treat four minutes. And then we had the quite bizarre and embarrassing ball incident. Scotland taking a new ball, looking to hit a quick line out, failing, Ireland going over and then having it to be reviewed. Yeah. I think it was a bit of a embarrassing call by all round by the officiating crew here. It was, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, because look, as I said, the Scottish throw didn't work and we, we got over and then, you know, I've never seen a try disallowed for that before, <laughs> for not using the same ball. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, something something else. But look, it was good that, that we were... We were up for it from the very start. I thought that, that's what it showed it to me. Absolutely. No, I think both teams were given as good as they got. I think line speed from both teams was very impressive. Uh, so, look, Ireland creating territory, creating opportunities. Johnny Sexton opened the scoring on 13 minutes for Ireland with a routine penalty after concerted pressure on the Scottish line. thought that was a smart move from Ireland. But all credit to Scotland here. I thought the 10, 12, 13 axis here for Scotland really worked very well, particularly in that opening half and had Ireland an awful lot of defensive issues and culminating in that huge Jones try in 17 minutes here, Dean. You know, it was again all the, the prominent guys. Russell was prominent and then to Pelutu, short little ball to uh, Jones who went in straight under the, the sticks for, I think, <laughs> he's like uh, two, a try every two games at this stage, Hugh Jones. And at that stage, uh, Russell converted and it was 7-3 to Scotland. And, you know, I thought it was fully deserved, to be honest with you. I, I think they definitely, in, in that opening 20 minutes, were were on, on fire, I thought. They really did play the match very well, Scotland. I mean, on video analysis, the first 20 minutes, I don't think it could have gone any better for Scotland, particularly from the way that the game managed. They had basically hemmed Ireland in into their own half had really condensed or compressed territory here. And when you had Finn Russell, very prominent, I think, to Paluto as well. We'd talked about him in previous weeks, but I thought he really came out of his shell in this game. I thought he was very much in sync with Finn Russell and Hugh Jones being a main benefactor. And really, you know, you can have no arguments. I think Hugh Jones' try was very well worked, I thought, from the Scottish pack perspective. Building phases, committing Ireland players to rock, and then... You know, space out wide, and again, great interchange of passes for Hugh Jones to get in. So obviously 7-3. But I suppose Ireland having to quell a bit of pressure here at this stage, but then a magnificent try, and I thought just a setup work from Ireland here, just the identification of space out wide, but the ability and how they set this try up, Aleem, was a magnificent, I thought, coaching and team play effort here from Matt Hansen. I mean, I look, the pass itself, I suppose, from Hugo Keenan was absolutely stunning. And then for, for I thought, Hansen, exceptional finish in the corner. Do you have, like when you have guys like Matt van der Merwe hanging off you, I mean, like to, to, to score at that, tremendous. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was the whole build-up play that was the most impressive there. 
again, Hansen, really good try-scoring record for Ireland now at this stage. Yeah, then basically conversion and 7-8. And, um, but before that, I mean, all through that opening half, I thought there was key moments like the tackle of, of James Lowe on Stuart Hogg. Yes. That yeah. one where if you miss there, he's in or, or, or Scotland are in, you know. They were always within a whisker of actually getting a, a try at that stage, Scotland. Yeah, they were very dangerous, weren't they, particularly in the opening half, Scotland. Confidence is up after the Hugh Jones try. And I suppose Ireland, they had personnel issues. I mean, Caelan Doris on that fifth minute, this little try, you know, jumps in the air, goes down heavily on his hip, has to retire, injured. Jack Conan comes on. Now, again, I think Jack Conan had a superb game, not out of beat, but again, early change here. Then you had the likes of Dan Sheen having to go off here with a shoulder injury, Ronan Kelleher coming on. Again, Ian Henderson had a very prominent first 10, 12 minutes, but then was forced off with an arm injury. So, again, the injuries were starting to tell here. Richie Gray had also from Scotland had re- had to retire earlier. Really did show the abrasiveness of this test fixture. But Scotland really had opportunities here to really punish Ireland, particularly in that second quarter. I'm thinking of the one particular line break where a ball out wide here could have been a clear try, but I don't know, was it Van der Merv? It was, it was Van der Merv, yeah. Yeah, it kept was. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a key moment in any game, yeah. You know, definitely with Stein outside, you know, it should have been the, should have been the correct call and Scotland would have been over. But again, it was those key kind of moments and then obviously we won the breakdown. Um, yeah, we got, we, 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 were, we had to actually get the penalty. I mean, that's an incredible turnaround, yeah. Exactly, like it's a complete coaching killer if you're Gregor Townsend and the management sitting in the stands looking at that. But again, it wasn't as if Scotland weren't creating chances here and uh, you know eight seven and again that exchange right before half time as well Liam we'd Ireland had were in great field position now obviously Ronan Keller had received that shoulder injury beforehand because yeah that's why the overthrow happened without a doubt man yeah exactly yeah. so I think the injury there aside I think for Ronan Keller I think there's a pass on that for sure but then Scotland getting a penalty and I thought maybe Stuart Hogg would go for the post maybe psychological factor here going. 10-8 up at halftime. But Finn Russell, trusting his team, basically kicked the corner. Ireland were able to basically close out the game and defend. I thought that was a huge moment as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah those are the moments. I mean, I mean, really, they would be disheartening, you know, if you were Scotland. I mean, Porter tackling there on, on Turner. Again, literally in the corner, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, massive, massive uh, kudos to all the Irish players. Their defensive um, alignment in that first half absolutely so <laughs> can only imagine what was being said in the Irish racing room at this stage just given the whole pack reshuffling that was required here also the probably realisation that Ronan Kelleher couldn't throw in the line out now in fairness Ronan Kelleher took one for the team particularly salvaged on for a few minutes in that third quarter but again it got very ominous didn't it uh, when we saw Ronan Kelleher out wide and Josh van der Fleer taking the line-out throws. So it was, um, I thought, really the versatility, particularly of Josh van der Fleer, but also Keane Healy as well, to kind of come in for Kelleher as well. I thought there were standout moments, and particularly with Josh van der Fleer, particularly the line-out throws. Again, the execution from Ireland here, I thought every line-out throw, 14 line-outs won by Ireland, Every one of them, particularly in the second half, you could feel it was breaking the Scotland resistance here, minute by minute, after each one of these successful set-piece executions from Ireland. Of course it is. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> Having a seven thrown in, this opposition seven thrown in, and you, and we can't nick any line-outs at all. I mean, really, truthfully. But um, I think the thing was that Van der Fleer, he, was, he did the right thing. There was no long throws. There was no middle-of-the-line throws. It was... Throw to the front, and it was, uh, and it was going to be <laughs> either Peter Mahoney or or Ryan Baird, and that was going to be it. And once it gets down for the mall, I mean Ireland, excellent mall as well, you know. So um, that that worked out superbly. And yeah, I mean, and this this new innovation we're going to have, where where you have basically bring on another of your best props, scrummaging props, and you put them into the scrum, and you would have no <laughs> hesitation about that, like you know. Uh, it's something tactically, you know, we talk about the bomb squad for South Africa. It's something we may have to really look at in in a crucial World Cup game. 
I think so, Liam. I think every test match head coach going into a World Cup is probably running the rule over their prop and hooker depth chart, particularly prop, to see if a prop can actually fulfil the hooker position here because maybe Aaron or not something here, particularly if it was the last 10-15 minutes of a quarterfinal in the World Cup, having to get that scrum penalty. I can see that probably potentially happening where you're kind of maybe compensating a little bit in terms of the hooker going off, getting another prop who can play hooker to come in and uh, do the job. So I think to be fair to Keane Healy, though, it was such a unique circumstance. Now, we've heard about the old Velvet here, under 12 stint here. But again, it just shows the versatility of Keane Healy to come in and particularly perform in terms of the scrummaging in that hooker position. I thought it was pretty much standout. Now, again, that third quarter from Ireland here, I thought was just absolutely stand out in terms of how they put this game to bed and really taught Scotland a lesson in how to take your opportunities. And I suppose starting with the James Lowe try and 57 minutes, by this stage, Jameson Gibson Park had arrived on the pitch for Conor Murray. And again, Gibson Park basically putting up a very nice aerial kick for Mac Hansen to collect. And I thought it was just great hands here to allow James Lowe to get over in the corner. And I mean, really to break the game out here to a two-score game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, another excellent finish by Lowe. But yeah, it, it, it's Hansen. What what a footballer he is, you know. To to beat Lowe in the air, as you said, and then to stem on from there to a beautiful, beautiful pass as well. Pass away. The fact that we, within a space of, what, five, five minutes, we scored two tries and pretty much wrapped up the game is hugely impressive considering, you know, we were literally down players left, right and centre at that stage. And then we have, of course, Hansen still involved in the, in the next Irish try where he passes on to uh, Conan and that wraps it up pretty much there and dusted. Again, spotting Van der Merve biting inside defensively, not taking care of his outside defensive responsibilities. I thought it was a super awareness from Mac Hansen to identify that as well. And I thought that was kind of a key to Ireland's game was the direct running, but also their ability and identification when Scotland's defence was out of kilter a bit, particularly on the outside channels. And I thought the Conan try, particularly on 62 minutes, I suppose going back to 58 minutes conversion from Sexton here, getting it into a two-score game territory, I thought clearly rattled Scotland. I think they were probably confident coming in after half time of really turned the screw on Ireland. But take nothing away here, I think Ireland just showed a clinical nature here. I thought the direct running caused Scotland a massive problems in that second half. Defensively, so much tighter from an Ireland perspective. Again, Finn Russell was a minimal impact, particularly particularly in his own 22. He wasn't affecting any kind of real influential moments for Scotland. So I think fairness to Conan comes in early. And again, I think he was second best ball carrier on the day. Again, he's absolutely equipped massively to play against Scotland, has really played well against Scotland in the past, and I think uh, really justified in terms of his call-up to the squad and his performance. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he's one of those guys that certainly has been questioned in terms of, I suppose, look, uh, we'd be looking at maybe a Gavin Coombs as well, but certainly, look, there's nothing about it. He came in early and he, he was up there for man to match, really, I, I thought, um, in, in terms of his play. Yeah, I mean, look, he'll definitely be, be, be starting number eight next day. Well, we'll see again, Caelan Doris, obviously, being assessed on a day-to-day basis heading into the England match, obviously. So, But, I mean, Jack Conan's definitely put the hand up for selection if required, and he's not going to let the side on, obviously. I suppose you've got to give kudos as well to Tyke Furlong here as well, uh, Liam, just in terms of his length out of the game to come in and produce a performance of that quality. I thought it was just a superb effort from the Wexford native. Yeah, yeah, uh, in- incredible effort, really. You know what I mean? Pretty much to to play so much of that game. He was excellent in his ball carrying, excellent in his scrummaging, rocking. You know what more can you say? Genuinely world class talent. I suppose what was pleasing though was Tom O'Toole when he came on, added as well uh, to um, title prop. You know he is certainly a guy that has to be looked at maybe even for more game minutes. Um, in the England game. Exactly, Liam. I think Tom O'Toole actually complimented Furlong very well when he came in. We didn't miss a beat in terms of our front row exchanges. And also Andrew Porter. What can you say about Andrew Porter here? He went full 80 minutes. As you've alluded to, there was a few massive contributions from the loose head 
uh, during the contest. Thought just overall was just absolutely superb. And an 18-minute performance from Porter, probably in rather unusual circumstances. But again, it just shows the conditioning of Andrew Porter that he could keep going uh, for that full 80 minutes. I suppose, uh, Liam, kind of looking at it on the 62 minutes, Ireland were kind of on the front foot at this stage. I think Scotland were well broken, beaten docket at this stage. And Ireland did have a few opportunities here to get the bonus point try, which <laughs> after 17 minutes, let's face it, looked pretty remote. But I mean, there was some lovely interchanging of passes here and then culminating in that James Ryan line break that unfortunately didn't go to hand for James Lowe uh, to get a four try here. Yeah, Ryan's kind of just went out of the hands. Uh, all he had to do was anyway half decent pass and then Lowe was over. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, look, but a brilliant break by Ryan again, who who, you know, in this championship has been one of the standout locks simply in all the games he's played so far. And we even had the into the course at the very end where Keane Healy, again, I would have fancied him to go over <laughs> if he actually did anything, if he caught the ball at all. But uh, he he didn't seem to remember about tapping the ball to himself. <laughs> um, that was pretty much yeah, that was kind of pretty much the end of the game then. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, the old prop habits probably died hard there at that stage anyway in that set play. But I mean, I think everyone could have a bit of a chuckle about it there, to be fair, because the game was well safe at this stage. And I think just given the adversity that Ireland had to endure during the first half, particularly, and also it'd be remiss of us to say about the Gary Ringrose incident as well here, uh, Liam. I mean, it looked an ugly incident, really, when that happened uh, with about 10 minutes to go. Yes. Apparently, Gary Ringrose is, you know, recovering, which is great. But, I mean, another injury to contend with, and obviously Henderson, uh, Ian Henderson, and obviously Gary Ringrose ruled out of the England game. So, they're going to be big misses here, but good to see the likes of Ryan Baird come on, second row, but also Robbie Henshaw getting some valuable game minutes at the end and didn't look out of place. No, not at all. And again, how how many minutes has he played for even for, for Linster this season? Very, very, very minimal. You'd have to probably think that that Hinshaw would be in there next with Aki, in the renewing their old partnership, the next day for sure. And again, Ryan Baird, who's hugely talented, you know, has to be front runner as opposed to to start alongside James Ryan. But we've we've absolute, The thing is, we we have such an an in depth in our squad now that none of those uh, people starting is going to weaken the squad in any way. Yeah. And there's no, there, there's absolutely no worries about anyone now from one to fifteen who's going to be facing the the English because they they are of excellent quality and they know what they're doing on their own pitch and that's that's really the key of a very well coached side along with excellent players. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Dan, because a question did come in from one of our top fans, Joseph McCarthy, posted on the Hawkeye Psychic Facebook page. Uh, for coming on air and his question was really around this squad depth chart how do you feel Liam in terms of the squad depth I mean it's been rigorously tested uh heading into the World Cup and uh, do you see any squad depth issues that have yet to be closed out here I don't really I mean look, we, we were always banging on I suppose about like tight head prop you know and about furlong but I mean when you think now you have behind him you have Bielham you have Tom O'Toole and I think, to be fair, you also will have John Ryan. So there you go. That's that's four there. Like yeah. certainly, again, second row. You know, we've we've the probably the starters, which would be Byrne and, and Ryan. But you also then have Henderson and you have Ryan Baird and you Ross Maloney. Like you know, again, I think probably ten is still the spot there. You know, where we have Sexton and he is such integral part of our game plan. You know, we have Byrne as, as a backup. And then we have Jack Crowley, who hasn't hardly played all season at 10 for, for Munster. So that's probably the only real area that I'd be looking at. Now, the question remains in terms of who's the third in the depth chart. I mean, you have the likes of Jack Crowley, you have Joy Carberry as well in the mix here. Does Billy Burns come into the reckoning here? You've got Harry Byrne. So Kieran Frawley. So I think, from a pre-season, next season, I think that could be a key one. I think for me as well, maybe the 15. Hugo Keenan has been the number one de facto uh, 15. Now, again, there has been experimentation from, let's say, URC perspective to find out the person that might be able to kind of get into that 15 
slot if required. And I know Mac Hansen, from a Connacht rugby perspective, had been experimenting a bit with him, particularly in Challenge Cup and URC in the start of the year. Probably see him as probably 15, certainly. That'll be an interesting watch, I think, as well, because that needs to probably evolve a little bit. Obviously, Kieran Frawley could play as a 15 here. Maybe Jamie Osborne Jimmy or Jamie O'Brien as yeah, well. Jimmy O'Brien would be, for me, kind of would be the most obvious one because he's 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 in the squad and he has pretty much covered those positions during games. But yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Mac Hansen would be would be next in line, and and then Jimmy O'Brien. And again, you know, I, I just think uh, their ability wise wouldn't question it, but they probably need to be tried out in the World Cup warm games at the very least. Yeah, I mean, there's three to four warm up games here. I think we definitely have to use that to a certain extent because I mean, URC. European Cup games, you're not going to be experimenting from a provincial perspective all or nothing now. So really it comes down to pre-season and these kind of pre-World Cup games. Now you might have a bit of latitude during a few group games that you would expect to win. But again, it's you should be knowing the squad depth chart pretty much you know, ahead of time. So I think there's still one or two questions here, particularly in the Ireland depth chart. Particularly, I mean, the 13 now, I mean, ring rolls, you know, that injury again. Now again, Robbie Henshaw's coming back in is very timely. The only thing I would say here is in terms of our 12 positioning, like Jimmy O'Brien could play 13 as well. Jamie Osborne, unfortunately, hasn't gotten any game time here. But again, he's a guy that I'd be kind of watching pretty closely, uh, particularly from a Leinster perspective, to see if he can get any real significant game minutes, particularly in the business end of the season. So I think there's going to be one or two kind of decisions here. I think the majority of the squad is basically molded together here. I think there's probably four or five places up for grabs here. I generally do going into a flight for France in September. So I think it's then up to some guys, particularly in those positions, I think that we've called out. Maybe Loosehead as well. Yeah, I d- definitely think Loosehead. I mean, it, the most obvious thing is if, if anything happens, say, to, to Healy or to Kilcoyne, you know, who who then? That, that's something that hasn't really been answered. Who then is steps up at that stage? It's going to be interesting just to see. I think Dave Kilcoyne has put a foot wrong, and I think it was just circumstances on Sunday that had Andrew Porter definitely in. Uh, for the full 80 minutes, but I would expect Kilcoyne to really put in monster minutes against England uh, at the weekend, particularly. So I think for Kilcoyne, definitely it'd be a point to prove and hasn't let the team down. So, yeah, I think hopefully that answered your question, Joe, uh, there. But I think from our perspective here, Liam all sets it up quite nicely, doesn't it, for Saturday. Uh, again, Patrick's Day week, Cheltenham, you know, English coming over to Dublin. And, a, and get- a possible Grand Slam, first uh, Grand Slam to win. In front of our home fans in Dublin. Exactly. No, I don't want to heighten my anxiety so early on in the week. But yeah, I mean, the Grand Slam, Triple Crown, everything's up for grabs here for Ireland, really. And I mean, they'll know what's expected of them going into kickoff at 5pm. So I suppose we can get to the France-England game in Twickenham. And I suppose France breaking all records here in Twickenham. And I mean, from an England perspective here, in 113 years at Twickenham staging test matches, 53-10 It's a record loss for England. What was your reaction here, Liam? Is it a case of France being too good or England that being that poor? Yeah, or or is it, a, is it a bit of both? I mean, look, you could actually look at it at the end result and you could say, you know, they walloped them. But England, you know, England were there in a lot of that game into, into the second half. They came back a bit, you know, in, in the start of the second half. And, and yet France also, you'd have to say, played probably the best 40 minutes of the championship was the opening 40 minutes. The power and the pace that we know that we have was shown to full effect. But look, I, th- I think really, I, I've alluded already, that the, I think this is the golden generation of France. And I think English rugby in terms of the premiership is a very subdued sort of product at the moment compared to even the URC. And I think it's it, it's a, a substandard league, if I'm being honest about it. Maybe for a first time in since since its founding, that's also something that's going to like it's not going to change overnight. Uh, the players that are there are the best that England have. They just have to, I suppose, still have Steve Bordwick mould a, a, a new game plan that's going to suit these players to the best effect. Yeah. I- I think this is probably a wake-up call for everything. everyone connected with English Rugby Union. I think this result had been coming for maybe a few seasons now. Now, the extent of the, the loss is fair enough, but I think 
the aspects on this game here, Liam, from my perspective, in terms of the game plan, in terms of team selection, in terms of even general conditioning of some of the players here from an England perspective, they were just wholly exposed on Saturday. I mean, where do you start here? I mean, even after two minutes, you could see England's defensive line speed was literally in sixes and sevens. The gaps had been opening up. I mean, France, an exquisite try after two minutes from Tomas Ramos. Dumontier, you know, you know, a beautiful line. But again, it was just, I thought England's line speed, defensive work all day was at sixes and sevens. That transitional defense wasn't there, wasn't at the test level standard. I mean, Ramos basically coming in. And I thought the kick came for England as well. I mean, Freddie Stewart, how many times did you see Freddie Stewart kicking a ball right down the throat of Ramos, Dumontier, and Pennell? And there's acres of space for that back three to basically express themselves. And it's the wrong team to be doing that. I mean, I think it was just a catalogue, a catastrophic failure from both management, but also the team in general. I think it's a collective responsibility here. I don't think it can be labelled at one particular player or one particular manager. I think it's a collective effort here. Uh, yeah, look, I have to say, apart from maybe the, the, the um, front row, who I think stood up well, actually. I mean, look, the, the back row was completely, the race is completely overpowered probably selection wise probably wasn't the best selection there but it's as, as it was where do you start and then marcus smith cannot be made a scapegoat for this performance i mean what more could he do you know he didn't have anything to work with that a, that a 10 needs he didn't have the the rock ball he didn't have any options quite frankly whenever he actually got the ball um, he had to take the ball on himself. Um, I hope he is kept on as well. I think there has to be some sort of continuity in, in some positions anyway. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think Marcus Smith, to be fair to him, from minute one to minute 80, he looked to instigate opportunities for England. I thought he played his heart out, to be perfectly honest. Owen Farrell, I thought did likewise when he came in as well. So I think from that perspective, fair enough. I think front row, I think, has to be massively respected uh, from an Ireland perspective next weekend because I thought they gave as good as they got, as you say. But then there's an awful lot of fundamental issues coming, starting from lock, back row, three quarters, even the back three here, Liam, even the backfield coverage, you know, like DuPont and Mac, we're really identifying massive opportunities here. The space in behind the defensive line wasn't really corrected here at any given point. You know, we talked about Ireland's adaptability in Murrayfield on Sunday. You take that with England, where it was all very fixed. It was all get continued to go with the game plan, even though France were making massive meters here. I think from my perspective here, there was an awful lot of fundamental flaws, particularly on the game plan. I think this one-out runner, you know, <laughs> did you see at any given time here in England with any supporting runners? Like, there were been news, really, from a breakdown rock area perspective. There was no, like, looking to get a ball on an offload. So I think the skill set of this England team has to fundamentally change. And that probably starts with the Gallagher Premiership. You know, it's a very, I think, very abrasive league. You know, you win your pack exchanges and then good things will follow. But I think it's that kind of fundamental mindset change that the skill set has to be better in Test Match Rugby was basically exposed loud and clear on Saturday in Twickenham. Yeah, again, you have a skill set, yes. But I, 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 I still said they're not playing in a very high standard league. You know, and so even against like the Scots, <laughs> they're going to tear them apart, and certainly France are going to tear them apart. So I, I think that they, they're going to have to re ask themselves as a league how they're going to provide real quality players to the England setup going forward. But look, I mean, for me, the match was pretty much over when it went to 27 3 for before half time with the third French try. Um, there simply is no way back for any team when you're down that much at, at half time, and it just I just thought Aldred was just immense. Uh, he, he is definitely up there when we talk about the, the best back rows in the world, and of course Dupont, the magician himself, was just uh, creating and probing all day. Yeah, I agree with you there, Liam. I think Aldred. You know, it was an outstanding performance, but he was complimented so well by Olivion, but also Cruz coming in. I think Cruz, from, you know, my perspective, really makes that back row take. Now, Jelange is a superb player from, from Toulouse, but I think Cruz does an awful lot of the unseen work here 
that really allows Olivier and also Aldra to really flourish and express themselves. And I mean, Aldra was just incredible in terms of his meters gained, you know, everything about him. Olivier as well, the two tries. Flamon as well, second row, a pace, a bit like a Ryan Bears, you know, literally the pace for such a big guy, you know, really did expose, I think, Chisholm particularly. I thought that Tajay gave as good as he went, got, but again, we're looking for that England back or second row. I still have doubts about Chisholm and I think Saturday may identify a few more questions on him. And to be perfectly fair, like DuPont was just playing with Van der Van Proofleet from early doors and didn't really get any better, particularly with England's replacement coming in as well. So I think this is the third quarter and the fourth quarter particularly here, Liam, I really had big questions on. Never would have seen traditionally an England team really with the heads go down. But the the penalty tries particularly and particularly that scene where Dunbrandt is particularly spent. He's spent after 50 minutes. Mm. That 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 kind of almost like nothing tackle there on Penno. Yeah, that was. I, th- I think he was hiding out in the wing. To be honest, what Dunbrandt was, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He was spent physically at that stage. Yeah. But I think it may be something that the video analysis from France maybe have cottoned on. That maybe Dunbrandt, in terms of you know taking a breather, to really do expose him, test him out, break him, and. That's essentially what was done, you know, that kick in behind. And, I mean, Penno's such a try-scoring predator at the best of times anyway, Liam. And, I mean, France were just loving it at that stage, weren't they? I mean, it was a sizable contingent of supporters in Twickenham as well, particularly in that third, fourth quarter. It was just all France, really. I mean, credit to Freddie Stewart, I suppose. Gets an early try and you think maybe, hey, there might be a little bit of response, but, like, France completely squashed it. Thought their pack then got in the ascendancy. Good front football for Dupont and Entomac. But, I mean, those penalty tries particularly, you could see heads drop, you know, and from an England perspective. And for me... Yeah, again, for for, for 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 England, what I would say in terms of that Don Brandon, they did get injuries. I think I think their hooker was injured. I think I Lawrence, he came off and it ended up that... I think that's maybe why Don Brandt actually also was put was kind of out the wing. He was certainly kind of a roving backline player at one stage there. Mm. But I think Lawrence is out, hamstring injury. But I think to be fair, if he was playing against Ireland, I think defensively, I think there was questions for him to answer on Saturday if he was playing. To be perfectly fair, so I think the fact of the matter is, Ollie Lawrence being out might be a benefit here for England, really, or generally do, just given you know that you probably have one Manu Tulangi probably coming back in. I think he has to come in. You know, he steady his ship in that three quarters and really give, you know, real kind of front football here. I mean, Liam, from an England perspective here, I expect a wounded animal to come to Dublin and really produce performance because there's seven or eight players in this England squad. I would be also surprised if Borwick and Sinfield actually put the 23-man squad out, apart from maybe Lawrence gone, Tulangi comes in. But I think there's about eight or nine of this team that are really playing for their test futures. On Saturday, which makes this a bit of a dangerous proposition for Ireland to really contend with. Of course it does. I mean, I mean, England can't have get any worse. And in the space of a, a week, we've seen it particularly in rugby as a sport. Teams that get hockeyed one week come back the next week and win. So it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that England can do that. And I think they are, they will play with an energy and they're going to play with a freedom. Now. That was going to make them a very dangerous animal indeed. You know, as they're going to have, uh, already they have an, an excellent um, front row that's going to test us, certainly scrummaging-wise. I think you're absolutely right there in terms of Tuolagi was going to give them some serious go-forward ball uh, up the middle there. You know, from there, they still have in, in the likes of Stewart and the likes of Arundel some, some very dangerous runners as well. Yeah, I think I think they're playing for, for their England... Uh, positions every one of them yeah because look I expect Tom Curry to be back in automatically Not no slight on Jack Willis but I think the fact of the matter is needs must here I think Tom Curry definitely has to come back in he's massive leadership and experience here so I think you're going to see probably a more solidified you know England's backs are against the wall and I would also say here Liam the record of England and Twickenham hasn't been great and I think from an England psychological player perspective playing a Twickenham maybe sometimes provides that negative aura for them that they seem to play a little bit better away from home. I'm thinking in terms of Millennium Stadium I'm thinking in terms of Rome, I'm thinking on other occasions where they've actually played pretty decent away from home like that kind of microscopic 
viewpoint from a home fan perspective may not be on them. So I think that's another layer off them. The shackles could be off a little bit. So I think it'll be an interesting response just to see, A, what Steve Borwick, Kevin Sinfield actually do in terms of team selection. I think for the 23-man squad, I think you could do an Eric Den Hag here and just literally pick the same 23-man squad, apart from Ollie Lawrence and many, many to Lange, but basically say, look, redeem yourselves. You know, you have an opportunity here to redeem yourselves and right a few wrongs from last weekend. I genuinely think that's probably going to be the case here because Courtney Laws is gone. Uh, he's out. I mean, Ollie Lawrence obviously is out as well. It'd be interesting to see if Makovunapola would get in. But as I said, front row gave as good as they got. So I think it's really honing in on back row, maybe second row here, and maybe the three quarters here where we may see minimal changes here from England. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, if England don't give at least a performance to make us proud of next week, I mean, that's their World Cup gone, as far as I'm concerned. Like, mm. that is the World Cup gone. There is no coming back if they have two, you know, really bad defeats back to back to France and, and Ireland, because then you're facing into um, the, the World Cup pre warm up games and into the World Cup. And again, a group where what looked on paper being quite easy could again turn out you know with the Argentinians and the Japanese could turn out to be a bit of a disaster so yeah they have to they basically have to write it quite quickly and they can too I mean we've seen teams before we've seen England in 2007 get to World Cup final three months after getting absolutely walloped by South Africa so it's it certainly is possible for England to rise again well, certainly the case study in the previous World Cup cycle was South Africa. 12 months prior to a World Cup, they were an absolute mess. So I think that it's a bit it's a bit more precarious, I think, from an England perspective. They definitely need a performance won anyway on Dublin. Regardless of the result, they need to put pride back in the jersey. And I think they will probably do that, you know, because the, the occasion in Ireland, there's, you know, you know, all the pressure's going to be on Ireland, really, fundamentally here, Liam. So I think I'm expecting a good performance here from England. You know, and it's a kind of dangerous when you're kind of talking down on England's side because, again, I think that front five is going to deserve an awful lot of respect here from England. You know, historically, England's physicality has posed problems for Ireland before. So I think it will be an interesting call here, particularly. But I suppose take nothing away from France, you know, 53-10, you know, they hadn't won in Twickenham in God knows how long. I think it was 2007, was it? That last time that they'd won in uh, Twickenham. So I think from that perspective, the monkeys off their back. The record books uh, torn asunder here in terms of biggest winning margin. Really sets them up nicely, doesn't it, for a World Cup 2023. And also Wales at home next week. They could put a bit of pressure on Ireland and maybe secure a championship in the process. Yeah, look, I mean, they, they definitely are going to rack up, I think, a, a big score against the Welsh. I suppose different points difference-wise, we're still plus 20. So, you know it would have to be a really, really big score for them to overtake us. Um, but look, I, I, I just, I have a feeling that this, this is a, this is a, a French side that can do what other French sides have not done, which is get to World Cup final and actually win it. Yeah, they're, they're in an absolutely fantastic place after this Six Nations. Yeah, I think the psychological mindset, if there was any uncertainty after the Dublin performance, that's completely smashed now. Uh, given this 53-10 result, they'll be talking about this in France for years and decades to come. I mean, it was a magnificent performance by France, 1-23. to Management, coaching staff, video analysis, I think everyone played their massive part in it. So, I mean, they go into that Welsh game in Paris, very buoyed, positivity, good dry track here. You could see a few points being scored and then leading itself into the pool stages here particularly with New Zealand in their own pool. I mean, it's going to be fascinatingly poised, but they can't come into that tournament any better. I mean, the unbeaten run has been, is not even an issue anymore. So I think this team is going to prosper and rejuvenate even more in pre-season. So I'm excited to see what France will deliver in their own home World Cup. I suppose, Liam, we can probably switch to Rome as well. The wooden spoon fixture for many. Wales, to their credit, We'd questioned in terms of front five. We questioned in terms of where Welsh performance would come. And it actually came, particularly in that opening half, a 29-17 win over, let's be frank, a very misfiring Italian performance, I suppose, Liam. General reactions to that Welsh win? You'd be happy to see it that at least, I suppose, that Welsh per- performed. But also, I suppose, look at the, it, I, I, the more take from it that the, the Italians didn't, you know. 
to give Wales such a big lead, like which ended with like basically a penalty try. Yeah, that, that was the most disappointing. It was it was kind of errors from the Italians early on gifted a big lead to Wales. But look, Reese Webb, I think you're you've been a big fan of Reese Webb in the past. <laughs> Uh, like you know, he, he he's just a class class halfback, and to think that he hasn't been playing for Wales since I think it was March 2020 is is absolutely crazy, and he gave an absolutely master class display in terms of control and kicking, and uh, so that was that was a huge um, difference in the in the game overall. Yeah, I thought it was a, there was a clear differential in terms of the scrum halves on show. On Saturday, I thought Reese Rabb gave, as you say, a master class. This guy is number one Welsh scrum half. No ifs, buts about it. He's a guy that you could basically build a team around for this World Cup. Uh, for And I think Gatland has seen that loud and clear. Thought his game management was absolutely spot on. You know, great tempo. Now, in fairness to the front five, we've been very critical of them here, Liam. I thought to a man... They definitely delivered. I thought David Jenkins coming in as well, along with Adam Beard. There was solidity there, particularly in terms of front row as well. Scrummaging was fairly on point. So I think it's amazing the platform that they gave Reese Webb, but take nothing away from Reese Webb's performance. I thought he's kicking game as well. Two assists as well here, Liam. I suppose we can go through the tries. Rio Dyer's try in nine minutes. Very opportunistic try from Dyer, but my God, Liam. The Italian backfield here, I mean... Pierre Bruno, I mean, like, I mean, video nightmares on that performance from start to finish. And what's he absolutely playing at here in terms of trying to deal with that ball? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was a high rated player himself. But yeah, look, I mean, Rio Dyer, I suppose the ball, you could say, cut out Italy and the bounce and Rio Dyer on the chase then. Absolutely um, excellent finish. And, uh, yeah, that was a very impressive start to put it. Uh, the Welsh 10 it up um, early on in the game, really. Yeah, it's like it was dominant here. I thought maybe the occasion got to a few of the Italian players first off because there was an awful lot of uh, ill-discipline giving easy access to Italy, but this Liam Williams try on 19 minutes. I mean, if you're a defensive coach for Italy, you're tearing your hair out here. The number of Italian players that attempt to tackle Liam Williams, I think Varney has two attempts and misses both get over. I mean, Liam Williams is an elusive runner, I know that, but my God, there's like four or five Italian players in close confines not stopping him. I mean, again, another score here. Soft score from Italy, but it gives Wales an absolute foothold in the game after that. It did, yeah, absolutely. As, as you said, like, you you would hardly rarely see in international rugby four or five guys, you know, being beaten so, so easily for Liam Williams to take the try. But yeah, after that, look, you know, we had the. It was a superb try for sure by by uh, Liam Williams, and after that, then you know, I suppose the fat the Fallatide try really that kind of put a nail in the coffin really, and the penalty try. And yeah, look, I mean, look, they got they got four try bonus point win. Right? So we have to remember as well for Wales. Yeah, absolutely, it was a mission accomplished. That's all Wales could do. Like I mean, to be fair, you know, you could hit your fifty three points. So you're still getting five points at the end of the day. So I think from a Welsh perspective, given the undercurrents here of discontent within Welsh rugby, I mean, four tries in Rome, you know, they were coming in as to many pundits. And I think we'd tipped Italy to win this game in round four. And to be fairness, uh, Welsh players to a man basically put it up to everyone in terms of that. And really that Falatel try, it really exposed to me the lack of attention and detail that the Italians' preparation in this game. Only in round three, Conor Murray had exploited quite a similar kind of lapse in, in defensive cover from an Italian perspective. Fast forward two weeks, Reese Webb does exactly the same, sets up Falatel. I mean, what's that to tell you in terms of player mentality and also the coaching uh, perspective here? I think, it, you know, and Kieran Crowley struck a very frustrated figure. I know he's taken a barb at a few of the officiating crew decisions, but look at the four tries we've even talked about here. These are all unenforced errors here from Italia, um, from Italy's defence here. So, I mean, look, I think Kieran Crowley trying to deflect a little bit here. He must be massively frustrated and disappointed here, particularly defensive side, but also in terms of ball in hand, where they squandered again several try scoring opportunities here, Liam. I mean, the head coach really was a frustrated figure here. 
Yeah, he was. I look. I suppose look, they they did get the opening try there in the second half as well to to get somewhere back in the game. But then of course, you know, that try then on 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 almost uh, half an hour to go from from Falatai. again Reese Webb break um, to put Falatai in, and that that was definitely the the winning of the game from Wales. Yeah, I mean look. I actually thought in the second half that that Wales missed some opportunities as well. To be fair, you know, as the game went on, so yeah, Italy just didn't do anything. You know, I mean, I was disappointed with the fact that okay, they were out Caputso and they did have Garbisi there, but it just didn't seem to click for them on the day. They just kind of overplayed. They, maybe the pressure got them in front of their home crowd, and the expected win just didn't come. Ian Crowley pointing about officiating woes, but. I think on another day here, Pierre Bruno is getting an early bath, isn't he? The hand fend off, whatever you want to call it. I think that's a straight red by anyone's book, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely yellow. Definitely, yeah. Extremely lucky with that. Yeah, and I think credit to Joy Neville here. I mean, she stayed solid in terms of her decision making. And basically had highlighted the correct, what had unfolded here. And thought the, the officiating here. From the match referee, maybe told a bit, uh, left a bit to be desired here. That was a red card for me. We'd seen it with Bolton and with Munster against uh, Saracens a few seasons ago. With a similar kind of incident, I mean, it was kind of light as day. But also the discipline here with Canoni as well, particularly on the defensive ball. I mean, that's a correct call as well. Now, I know Crowley is, uh, was chirping a little bit in terms of maybe a similar, in terms of... Maybe some aerial challenges here from a Welsh perspective not being pinged. But, I mean, look, you've heard me enough here in the last three, four minutes talking about this game. There's been an awful lot of unforced errors here from Italy that really conspired under the architects of their own downfall. I think this is a massive step backwards for Italian rugby, if I'm being brutally honest, just given the opportunity to play a Welsh team who, let's face it, it's been a very traumatic few months in Welsh rugby. So I think... The conditions were right for Italy to really produce a performance, but they didn't deliver. And I think from a Karen Crowley and coaching perspective, it's going to be one that's going to be uh, one that's going to grate at them, particularly in pre-season, uh, heading into a World Cup. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it was going to be so promising for Italy in the, in the Six Nations, and yet it's kind of dying out of death now at this stage. Looks like it's going to be another five losses in the Six Nations Championship and another season bottom of the table for Italy and that's the most disappointing thing about it. For Wales I mean you know they can now possibly look at doing something against France in their final game. Italy are going to Scotland and Scotland is smarting from their loss so it's 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 just I still think that Italy are the best of the rest when it comes to kind of the World Cup like the, maybe the, their 10th or 11th their best of the rest in the, in the, in the world and they just need to get all their players on the pitch at the same time. I'd agree to a certain extent, but I'm seeing trends here. I'm seeing trends from previous seasons. The first up tackling is not good enough, particularly when you get outside 12, 13 channels here. I think there is massive opportunity for opposition, particularly in the World Cup, to really exploit here. And I think the more that Italy continue to shoot themselves in the foot, particularly on try scoring opportunities, I mean, the setup play is absolutely brilliant. But it's... The, the game management, and I think the coaches get absolved here. It's down to the player mentality here to basically pick the right decision. Too many times the wrong decision has been done. I mean, in round three, you saw Brex basically kicking in behind when basically continued to keep ball in hand, would have guaranteed a try against Ireland. They let it Wales off the hook here with two or three try scoring opportunities. I mean, players not passing outside, keeping it into contact, fluffing their lines, red try fever, whatever you want to call it. As long as those characteristics are still here. I, I felt Kieran Crowley post-game was a man under pressure. That I think there's probably been a performance criteria that he needed to win a game again in the Six Nations. And that not being fulfilled, I don't see them getting a result in Murrayfield, by the way. So I think from that perspective, I think the Italian board are probably going to be thinking a little bit long and hard in terms of Kieran Crowley's kind of long-term tenure with the side here. And I think the comments of Kieran Crowley really reflected that, that this is a game that they are marked to win. And I think from a World Cup 2023, I think they should be progressing here. But I think for other opposition here, particularly the teams ranked below them, I think there's opportunity here to really kind of attack Italy, particularly defensively, and also from, let's say, an Italian unforced error perspective in attack. I, I agree with you. Like, I mean, 
the thing is, they, they, they're clicking to a point, Italy are, you know, they really are clicking. They're that pass away from basically going over. I mean, but yeah, I mean, and it's and it's it's a kind of it is a, a recurring theme now in all their games, their inability to finish off um, when they have all the opportunities. Um, I still think that on their day they can cause anyone real attacking. I mean, I mean, we look at Ireland when they played Ireland, and for Ireland it was it was pretty much said that uh, Italy actually tested Ireland in a way that no other team in the championship has in an attacking sense. So I think there is some hope there for them. I think to be fair to Italy, you know, the travel to Murrayfield, I suppose we can look at the round five fixtures here, Liam, get a call on it from you. I suppose starting with Scotland, Italy, first game up. I suppose uh, you, you know my thoughts in terms of uh, Scotland. I know Scotland will be bitterly disappointed after round four and losing to Ireland, but I suppose this could be a perfect tonic for them to maybe hit a few points against Italy in the last round. So would you agree? Yeah, I would. I would. I, I, I think, you know, you're looking at, I suppose, the likes of Duhan van der Murphy and particularly, you could see him getting maybe a two or three tries. You could see a few back row forwards getting tries as well of good link play. Yeah, I mean, look, I would probably say... I have in my mind that Scotland will win by 15 points in the end. I think they'll probably score about about 40. So that's that's what I'd be kind of looking at uh, for that result. I'm going to go probably 20-25 here, Liam. I think the mindset from Italy is going to be a fascinating watch this week. I think this result against Wales really will have deflated them massively. And then having to travel to Edinburgh as well in our Murrayfield. Against the Scotland side, that, let's face it, they did pose Ireland an awful lot of defensive problems and you can see with their capability, particularly with Russell to Palutu and also Hugh Jones, I think it's uh, going to be a key one for them. And also Stuart Hogg, I think, will have a massive day. Now, he won his 100 cap against Ireland. was kind of seen to good effect until he went off. But, I mean, I think he could have a field day here, really, with the backfield defensive uh, setup here with Italy. So, I think 20, 25 points for Scotland. I suppose the mid-afternoon game here is in Paris. Wales have decided to stay in continental Europe. From their Italian Rome win, they go to Paris to face France, who are literally on the crest of a wave after that 53-10 win against England at Twickenham. Do you give Wales any chance here, Liam? I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be very, and and, and those those France Wales games are always very very open. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be high-scoring. I think that that each, that France are actually going to hit the 50 mark. Actually, again, for a second game in a row, I think that you'll get to see four tri- tries uh, scored by Wales. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking twenty point win for France in Paris. Yeah, I'd kind of go along with that. I think the pressure's off Wales a little bit in terms of that result in Rome. I think you know. The- performance I think the Welsh players they're going to express themselves a little bit more with ball in hand here as well given that they've reached Webb at nine here there's just confidence there at nine I think and Owen Williams is slowly but surely building himself up from a 10 perspective I think they do like an awful lot in terms of what Hawkins has to provide you got Rio Dyer Liam Williams obviously Josh Adams so I think there will be tries because France will set out the mantra fairly quickly here that they want points on the board quickly to really put pressure on Ireland to secure that championship they will leave defensive line gaps so yeah I'd be with you I think Wales will give as good as they get for maybe three quarters and maybe France coming in with maybe one or two tries at the end really to embellish the scoreline here but I think it'll be more of an upward curve from Wales in terms of their performance here Again, they may lose by 15-20, but I think I think France will win. Mightn't be enough to secure championship, but I think, again, it's got to be more confidence-boosting performance for both sides, I think. France for me. And then ultimately at 5pm on Saturday evening, Ireland hosting England in the Aviva Stadium. Now, again, as we record this podcast, it's early on in the week. So day-to-day monitoring, particularly of the likes of Caelan Doris, Ronan Callagher, Dan Sheehan particularly, We've news that Tom Stewart has been called into the squad, along with Ross Maloney. I suppose, Liam, given that backdrop for Irish injuries, also England coming into Dublin hurt from that record loss. 
to me, this looks quite a tough fixture, really, to really kind of predict here, just given the dynamics uh, on both sides. Yeah, I, I t- definitely think England are, England are going to be a different animal this weekend. As you said, with all the inter- in- injuries that Ireland have, what kind of team are we going to be fielding? I definitely it would be hugely confident that Ireland will, will actually get the victory. Absolutely, no doubt about that. But I think it could be like in 70 points win. Uh, against against England, we, we, we've 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 fairly well walloped a lot of our teams in the past, but we've never really, you know, put England away. I always remember even back to to the to the eighteen uh, Grand Slam and winning away. I mean, we brilliant performance, but like you know, in the end there was almost nothing in it. There was like I think it was nine points or something in the end in it. So um, we have to kind of put that in perspective too. That's why I would go with. with I go with eight point win for Ireland in a game where I don't think either team is going to score an awful lot. Maybe two tries each, I think, uh, over the course of eighty minutes. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating one. I think the weather conditions in Dublin as well. Hopefully, will be set fair because if it does, it really will play in Ireland's hands a little bit. It'll be fascinating just to see Ireland's physicality against the, the England front five because. I'll repeat, I think they'll deserve massive respect coming over because I think historically with England, they've brought an awful lot of physicality, line speed, and Ireland at times haven't been able to cope with that. So I think it'll be a fascinating watch from Ireland, particularly with the personnel issues that will be invariably taking place during the week, how they will counteract that. But again, they've dealt with every test that's come along this year, and even last season, I think the New Zealand summer tour as well. I think from an Arab perspective, this is looking like a fitting finale here for Johnny Sexton, particularly retiring. I think there's an awful lot of motivation here. Now, motivation and, you know, getting over pumped, there's a fine line. But I think the stars are aligning here a little bit from Ireland. I think maybe Ireland, after hopefully getting a solid start, if they do, then I think a long afternoon for England. But I think England will be competitive here if they bring in the likes of Tom Curry in here, if they bring in Matthew Vinopola, if they bring in Billy Vinopola, guys like that, Manu Tulangi. I think it's going to be a bit more closer, you know, a bit more experience coming in. I think then it's kind of going to be in the melting pot for quite a bit. But I would sincerely hope that Ireland have the street smarts to counteract the physicality, particularly on the running lines, particularly their attacking play, and also their set piece and scrummaging particularly being on point so i think maybe eight ten points here for ireland but uh, yeah and, and even even we have to remember like you know england will probably gas out more than ireland will in the second half ireland go to the end in every game hmm. ireland have been attacking in the last five minutes have been maybe just missing out on tries but but creating hugely and i think the extra gear that ireland are gonna have in that second half is going to be crucial they they have they have that extra level to go to England simply don't have that yeah I think you've you know it's a perfect point there the tempo tempo has to be high from Ireland throughout the 80 minutes here really put England on the deficit in terms of oxygen here because we've seen with France France when they basically played up tempo rugby England weren't able to compete and I think after five days after their previous game they're not going to solve that overnight so I think from that perspective it's important for Ireland to get on the front foot here not give England England will Confidence is is a little bit rattled, be natural. But again, they'll be hoping to get a foothold in this game first 20, 30 minutes. So I think it's really up to Ireland here to build that point score up. But I feel they will be doing that. Might be a classic by all accounts, but I think Ireland will get the job done and secure the Grand Slam, hopefully. Yeah, I suppose, Liam, before we leave here, but in terms of the Irish provincials, provinces, uh, since we last spoke, Munster Rugby at the announcement here of Malachi Fikatoa. There was a nice little graphic on the Benetton uh, Rugby Twitter page last week. That he yeah, what was Benetton. that about? It was like a, a big kind of um, big kind of mountainous structure, was it? Yeah, what was that about? Oh, yeah, it was like a desert island. And then desert island, there, yeah. He's all yeah. black number and also, you know, obviously Tonga as well. The flag, oh, it was very elaborate. Credits to the graphic designer there. Uh, but in fairness to Malachi Fikatoa, I mean, we knew he was gone at the end of the season. And, I mean, it looks like a good move here for Benetton Rugby, particularly with a guy of that ball-carrying ability at three quarters. We it's saw a big what statement. It's a big statement, Mark. And the, th- and the thing is, too, I mean, I keep saying Benetton Rugby, you know, Treviso, they are an excellent rugby side. And now they're going to have another fulcrum there for, for attacking. Um, so it's, I think it's going to bring them on to a new level next season, actually. 
I certainly do. I think it's a very stupid move from the Italians here. Uh, I think Ficatoa is relishing the challenge as well. You know, given what Benetton did against Munster particularly, it's it. I, I think it's tailor-made here. I think it's a great move for the URC. Benetton will elevate their performances to the next level here with Ficatoa, particularly after the World Cup. So I think the key for Benetton, though, is to keep the player fit. If they can keep the player fit, I think it'll be a massive, massive signing for him. But again, you know, we wish Malachi Ficato all the best. I mean, he's featuring at Munster as well. Come to business end of the season, he still has plenty to offer here for Munster uh, going into the back end of the business end of the season. So we wish him well. And I suppose from a Connacht perspective, there's been an awful lot of comings and goings here, Liam. I suppose starting with the head coach, uh, Pete Wilkins, uh, in-house hire, uh, takes over from Andy Friend, start next season, I suppose, direction there. Yeah, look, I mean... I think you can always look at in-house appointments as being a positive in terms of they know the players and know what's available to them. But, you know, you kind of need a, a fresh perspective too. And so I'm just wondering, what I'm trying to wonder, I suppose, effectively is, like Andy Farrell with Ireland, who was already in the setup, there's no problem with that, but you need to almost create your own backroom team around you. And that's going to be the key, really, isn't it, going to be for Wilkins? Well, I think there's going to be a bit of rebuilding done anyway, because we knew Mossy Lauder was moving from Connacht to Munster as a skills coach next season. And now Dewald Sinekal, now he's a highly rated South African coach. He's arrived in Connacht, and I think the pack have evolved massively under his tutelage. He departs the club at the end of the season to go to Annex, in, who are flying high in D2 in France. So I think that's a massive loss. I mean... Colm Tucker has uh, renewed a three-year uh, contract extension, but I think Sinekal is going to be a big coaching shoe to fill here, uh, Liam. Yeah, massive, massive altogether. And, you know, you also have, I suppose, look, uh, Mossy Lawler departing as well. That's going to make a difference as well. I, I just think that it's some of the signings, though, this season, well, Re, the recently signing of Sean Johnson has probably been kind of a, a standout signing who's also Irish qualified as it happens. That's a fascinating one for me, uh, Sean Johnson. I mean, the need in New Zealand born, but obviously qualifies, you know, through his family bloodlines. A very abrasive number eight here, uh, Liam. And again, gives us a little bit more depth charts, potentially going into a new World Cup cycle, I would say you know, particularly with his age group in the mid-20s. Now, Leicester Tigers fans have reacted, you know, they wish the player well, they rate him extremely highly. So I think Connacht are getting a good one there. Coupled with Joe Joyce as well from Bristol Brayers here as well. I think there's two nice signings here, but con- counteract that by the announcement of Kieran Marmion's departure to Bristol Bears. I think this is a big loss for the ball club in terms of his experience, and also his leadership within the ball club. I suppose, what were your reactions there when you heard that Karen Marmion was departing for Bristol? I mean, it's huge, isn't it? Because Marmion has been basically the, the, their first choice number nine for as long as I can remember now, and, 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 and an integral part of the club, as you say, and who, who, a guy who's played for Ireland at the highest level too, so he has that vast experience that, that you can't just buy it. Yeah, uh, it's, it, 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 to me, I hear about the Marmy and I hear about uh, Bundy Aki and, and other senior players. And, and I think that's disappointing, really, is the, the senior players at the, at the club kind of uh, having a bit of uh, issues with management. Uh, it's not a good look. And obviously for, for the younger players, too, it's, it's, it's not ideal to, to expose them to that. Yeah, there does seem to be a bit of friction there. As you say, there's a few, one or two players that haven't really got significant game time. Now, coaches will contract that by saying, we're just seeing what we're seeing on the training paddock. But particularly when senior players are kind of voicing concerns here and not getting game minutes, that can be a bit of a destabilizing effect for a ball club. So I think it remains to be seen in terms of, we'll never know the full story in terms of Marmion's kind of departure. I know the one-year contract was offered. He got a two-year contract with Bristol Bears. He's worked with head coach Pat Lamb before. John Muldoon is also there. Now, there's rumours of Muldoon maybe coming back to Connacht, but I think with Bissell Bears, there's a programme in place there. 
So I think from that perspective, Marion knows what he's getting himself into in Bristol and uh, exciting times for him. But I mean, a massive servant for Connacht Rugby, also in Ireland as well. I can think of the New Zealand game in the Viva when he had to get into the back three, you know, let no one down from a provincial and international perspective. So wish Kieran Marion all the best there. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think it'll be an emotional send off for Kieran Marion towards the latter end of the season here. And we wish him well. I suppose Liam will leave it there. Uh, plenty to cover tonight anyway. Whoa. But Whoa. <laughs> is the answer. It just appears here. Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell have been ruled out of the Italy game. That's breaking oh. news. That's uh, okay. That, that's, that's, that, that puts the, the, whatever, the plus 20 or 25 that we were saying, uh, that cert- certainly reduces that, I think, anyway. Is that an opportunity Knox moment for Ben Healy? Uh, here, I mean, Blair Kinghorn yeah. obviously will be just, slotting in a 10 because yeah. Gregor Townsend seems to be that a uh, big fan of Blair Kinghorn. So I would imagine that 10 is probably locked up. But could you see potentially Ben Healy probably getting into the 23-man squad? I can certainly yeah, see oh, that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure now. Yeah, actually, for sure. And again, Blair Kinghorn, look, he's an excellent player, but he doesn't have his kicking boots on. He really doesn't. <laughs> So, yeah, you could see Ben Healy really coming out to steady the ship early in the second half, I would say. Yeah, very, very interesting, actually, development. I think it's an interesting development there, but I still go with 20 points here. I think a bit of energy. Now, in fairness to Blair Kinghorn and Edinburgh Rugby, we're big fans of Edinburgh Rugby in terms of how they play the game. And Blair Kinghorn really does play in the front foot here and really does get his back line going from Edinburgh. I would assume the same will happen here with to Palutu and also Q Jones here. But I think it's a massive opportunity. Look, I'm talking from a Ben Healy perspective here. I mean, with Stuart Hogg gone, Finn Russell gone, I think Gregor Townsend now has to really cast the net out and see who he can depend on. I wouldn't be all surprised to see here Ben Healy maybe getting a nod here. No, not maybe a full back per se, but I'd say as a backup out half here for Blair Kinghorn, particularly if things don't go according to plan, as you say. So we may see Ben Healy getting a bit of test match rugby, which is what he wanted all along. So I think from a Ben Healy perspective, it's a welcome development, but that's huge news. And it just shows you how abrasive that Ireland-Scotland game was yesterday as well here, Liam. I mean, Hogg did go off late. Finn Russell was carrying the knee injury. And I said Gray's probably ruled out as well. Exactly. Scotland, so, So Richie Gray as well. So, I mean, from that perspective, Grant Kilchrist is out as well. So... Again, Gregor Townsend's probably looking at the depth chart a little bit, particularly in second row here, particularly. And also probably from a 10 and 15 perspective. So I think that'll be an interesting watch here, uh, for sure. For sure. But uh, thanks for breaking news there, Liam. Uh, yeah, I think we, uh, we've covered that. Uh, Liam, many thanks for your time anyway. Uh, it's going to be... You're over in Wales uh, this weekend coming, are you? So you'll be yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'll, I'll be watching uh, the the matches in a Welsh pub, <laughs> and I was supposed to be. I'll be just just to watch a Welsh match in a Welsh pub as well, and hopefully, look, we'll have a massive celebration all over Ireland this uh, Patrick's Day. That's what we're hoping for, anyway. Absolutely, yeah. We wish everyone happy St Paddy's Day. Let's hope uh, Ireland do the business in the Aviva against uh, a wounded England. But again, the team have performed so well. Confidence should be high going in. I suppose next week, Liam, we'll review the Six Nations, look at the Six Nations as a whole here. I think we've already talked at length here in terms of squad depth, but I suppose we can have a look at each of the nations and then look at the URC again. We're heading rapidly into round 15 territory here. There's massive playoff permutation games for the weekend of the 25th so we may review that as well but Liam enjoy your time in Wales and we'll talk next week yeah and uh, hopefully you know grandstand here we come absolutely take care thanks thank you for listening to this podcast episode if you liked what you heard in this podcast why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify YouTube or Twitter platforms you can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.